Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me. Had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old bloody cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. But I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels. From my hands pulled the nails that torment me. got a great message. Praise the Lord. Good job, fellas. You did a good job on that, too. All right, well, we're dealing with doctrinal delicacies. Doctrinal delicacies, okay? And someone says, what in the world's that? Well, you sit down to a meal that's a, a, a delicacy. It's something that's very special, something unique, and it's something that's very tasty, very good, right? And so we're going to talk about some doctrinal delicacies, delic- uh, doctrines that, that, are, that taste good, doctrines that are are very satisfying, doctrines that really are a blessing to us, so much so. And so we want to begin that tonight. And so with that said, turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. Real basic, basic verse. Probably could almost, you could probably quote it, I would imagine. I think we're going to read the first three verses there, 16, 17, and 18, just because they're so wonderfully, so packed, so packed there. But... We're going to talk today, basically, about a doctrine called salvation. Simple salvation today. Real simple. Someone says, well, we know about that. Okay, well, the question is, can you teach it to someone else? 
Can you share it? Not just salvation in the sense of can you lead them down the Romans road, but do you really understand what took place? Are you aware of what transpired and happened the moment you were saved or when you did trust Christ? And so we're going to look at just a couple of things like that today. And I think if I was an expert on this subject, I could probably learn something else. I think that if, I, if I'd been in church 20 years, I think I could still learn something. I, I believe that no matter how much biblical background I had, no matter how much Bible college I've attended, I think I can learn something when we start talking about a subject like salvation. And so I'm excited tonight as we share a doctrinal delicacy, a delicacy that we would call salvation. So let's go ahead and take a look at John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible simply says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What a powerful passage, amen? I mean, really, right at the very root, the very uh, foundation of our faith right there. It's an amazing passage. Salvation is the most important event in anyone's life. Uh, you know, I, I am so thankful, so grateful for the day that I met my wife and even more grateful the day we got married. I, I enjoy being married. I've always liked being married. I never have any regrets about being married. I've, I think married life is the best. Now, I don't say that to, I don't say that to, I mean, maybe you did not have that experience. Maybe you found that it wasn't quite nearly as satisfying. And, and, I, and I mean that. I mean, there's folks that have gone through horrible situations in spite of how it began. And, and so, you know, I'm not doing that to try to rub it in your face. I'm just telling you that that was a great day in my life. And it continues to be a great day for me. However, let me say this. There's no better day than the day that I trusted Christ. Because not only do I have a better life today... Uh, because of salvation, but I have eternal life tomorrow in a sense. I mean, it's mine already, obviously. I'm already saved eternally. But boy, salvation is the most important event. If you've never been saved, you have not experienced the best decision you can ever make. Now, um, God has saved us, and now we're His children. And there is no greater life-changing event than salvation. Matter of fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He goes on to say, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, with that said, what does that mean then? I mean, how does that play out? Change is, is scary sometimes. And so we're going from being lost to being saved. We're going from being, uh, you know, guided and directed by flesh to being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. There's so many things that are going to take place here. And in this service tonight, as we consider salvation, we're going to ask ourselves, what does it really mean to us? What transpired? What took place? Uh, What is it that we can expect now? And so we just want to consider some of those things. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll move along in our service tonight. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for these that have gathered here tonight. And again, Lord, I know so many uh, that are here probably could lead a soul to Christ. They could take you through the Roman road. They could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, help us to glean something tonight. Lord, every one of us can father profit and every one of us can be encouraged and moved and motivated and reminded one more time how good you've been to us. 
Oh, Father, bless us tonight in this service. Fill me with your spirit. May I, Father, have an ability, an opportunity, Father, just to, through the Holy Spirit, to truly impact lives. And, Father, may I don't take it lightly, Lord. I understand, Lord, that, that, Father, you have given me this great privilege. Now, Father, help me, Father, to be yielded to you wholeheartedly. And, Father, may you just help each ear, listening ear to be anointed as well, that they may hear with spiritual ears. We love you now. We need you in Christ's name. Amen. We talk about salvation and we think about why we need to be saved. And obviously, the fact is, is and you as, as well as I know, that we were born sinners. I mean, that's the key, right? I mean, we're born sinners, so we have to deal with our sin. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 3, I love the passages over there, but the Bible tells us over in chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that, that, that's a reality. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody at the door and they say something like this? Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do anything really bad. It's interesting how the Bible approaches this issue. It says, they're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Isn't that amazing? Now, again, and, and I'm careful with that because I think the, the, the perspective of people is such that if I say, no, you, there's nothing good about you. Well, from the world's perspective, there may be great things about them. They may be very benevolent. They may be very kind. They may be considerate. They may be giving and yielding and just very helpful to people. And in a sense, they're good people, but not good in the sense of godliness. So we see that we're born sinners. We understand that for all sin that comes short of the glory of God. We know that. We know that you can't teach a child. You don't teach a child to do wrong. You teach a child to do right because we are inherently evil, sinful. Now, again, we've said this statement often and we use it in our soul winning. We'll say we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. And that's a reality. So in the Garden of Eden, obviously, when Adam disobeyed, well... God had to follow through. And when he followed through, he said, guess what? You're going to be separated from me because sin cannot stand between me and you. We can't deal with that. I can't deal with sin. And so God had to separate him. Well, guess what? God separated from us because of sin. It's the same exact situation. So sin brings death and separation. That's what we find out. And again, we've talked about this much in our, our, our studies with winning souls and leading folks to Christ. But the fact is, is that death, uh, sin brings death and it brings separation. That's the thing that we hate most about sin. At least that's the thing I hate most about sin. I, I don't like it from the perspective of others. I don't like the fact that loved ones, family, and friends all pass away. Why? Because of sin. That brings a separation. I can't be with my family and my loved ones and my friends forever because of sin. But not only that, but ultimately that sin will separate me from God eternally if I don't address it and deal with that. And so we understand that from Revelation twenty two fourteen when it says, And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we die physically, we die also spiritually. And we have to understand that. And so we note that. So sin brings death and separation. Now, we're sinners, and we know that sin brings death and separation, but salvation is there. God has provided a salvation. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a doctrinal delicacy. It's a great thing. It tastes good going down. To think that you don't have to pay for your own sin. You never have to spend one moment separated from God. You'll forever be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have a home in heaven. You're part of the family of God. You've got everything to look forward to in an eternity to just rejoice with the creator of the universe. Amen. 
I mean, what a delicacy. And it ought to excite us and it ought to encourage us and we ought to say, praise God and thank God for that. So what does salvation do then practically for us? Well, first of all, it covers your sin with the blood of Christ. Take your Bible if you would look over 1 Peter chapter 1. It, it covers our sin with the blood of Christ. It washes our sin away even. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. How were you redeemed then? With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the blood of Jesus Christ, it changed us. It not only purchased us, but it washed us from our sin. It cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That blood. See, when we stand before God one day, we're not going to stand before Him a sinner. Amen. You won't stand before Him a sinner. Your sin's been washed away. It's been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That's an amazing truth. In Isaiah 53, 5, the Bible says, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus Christ hung on Calvary to pay for our sin. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. And you know, when you and I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection as payment for our sin, then His blood was applied to our heart. It was applied to our life. And every sin you ever committed, every sin that you will commit, has been covered and washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's an amazing truth. Past present, and future sin. Now, let me illustrate that for a moment, because this gets kind of confusing. On this pulpit, there's a cross. Here I am, and the day I got saved, this represents the day I got saved, okay? Now, here's the battle that we fight, isn't it? We say things or think things like this, okay? From here to here, I was lost. From here to here, I am saved. So even if my sin was washed away from the moment I trusted Christ, and, and from the, the time from here to here, you know, uh, I mean, my sin's forgiven. Okay, but my, my past sin's forgiven, but my future sin can't possibly be forgiven. Because it's now it depends on how I live, right? I mean, okay, my past sin's forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, but my sin today, it's up to me. Do I sin? Do I surrender? Do I submit to the Lord? Do I confess my sin daily? Because if I don't, then my sin is ever before me and I'm going to face God in my sin because that's future sin. My past sin washed away. My future sin, it's up to me. I got to deal with that. Wait a second. I want you to notice something. Here's the cross back there. My past sin was future sin when he died and shed his blood. My, My past sin was future sin. So what makes it so hard for me to understand that my future sin is future sin too? There's no difference between the sins I committed and the sin I will commit, except that it affects my fellowship with him now. It has nothing to do with his salvation in my life. When he died on Calvary, when he shed his blood, when he paid for my sin, all my sin was future. 
and it was washed away. When I receive and accept Him, that blood has been applied to my account. And all my sin, past, present, and future, is dealt with. It's gone. Now again, that's not saying that you have a right to live as you please. Do as you want. No, no, no. There's still that 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We understand that it's important that our fellowship be such that we can receive from heaven, that we can fellowship with God, that we can walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in the light. We want the blessing of God in our life. We want the hand of God in our life. We don't want that chastening hand of God, as we'll see in a moment now that we're sons. But all my sin was future when He died on Calvary. And all my sin has been placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so is yours. So is yours. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In 1 John 1 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sins. We're so glad today that our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but what does salvation do? It restores fellowship between you and God. It restores fellowship. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Ephesians 2, verse 12 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Notice the Bible says here that at that time, he's talking to the Ephesians now, the Apostle Paul is, that at that time, remember back then, guys, that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the state, the condition of all lost men and women, by the way having no hope and without God. Listen, you talk to a hundred people out knocking doors or in the community or just out going grocery shopping, every one of them wants to believe that they're with God and God is with them. Every one of them wants to believe that. Now, in one sense, God is there in the sense of Acts chapter 17, that He is close, He is near. However, To be with us, we must be His children. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 Not just because we are the creation, but because we are the new creature. See, everyone is part of the creation, and God loves His creation. Don't misunderstand me. But God is with the new creature. There's a difference. We have to be careful. So in this case, he's talking to the Ephesians and he says to them, you know, at that time, back then, you were without Christ and you had no hope and were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The the, the visual is you're far away. For instance, John, stand up, John. John say is God, and here I am as man. I'm looking at John, and John and I are, there's a tremendous gulf, a distance between us. 
There's so much distance that we cannot fellowship. There's so much distance that we cannot really communicate. We're not talking about cell phones. We're not talking about having access to the internet. We're talking about one-on-one individual fellowship, communion, and we can't have it. There's too much distance. And the Bible tells us here in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The blood erased the distance in a sense and enabled me to draw nigh and close to the Lord God, Jesus Christ. It erased that distance. I can now have fellowship. I can now interact. I can now commune with this God of heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It restored fellowship between me and God. Thank you, John. God is perfect. And as a result of that, He is without sin. That makes sense. But as soon as we're born, we're born into sin. So therefore, there is a separation. There is a gulf there between us. Something stands between us and God. It is sin. The blood of Christ washes the sin away, enabling us to come together in fellowship. Now, I want to show you something else here. I'll tell you what. uh, um, Joshua, why don't you come on up today? This is exactly what happened. Back in the Garden of Eden, this is how it went. Okay, come on up here, Josh. Stand right there. What happened was, and and we're going to go ahead and let Josh be God, and I'll be Adam. Adam and God had a relationship. Let's step back so we can see a little better. Adam and and God, Adam and God had a relationship. They faced one another. They were in fellowship with one another. We better scoot here because I'm hitting that chair already. So here they were in close communion and fellowship. In the cool of the day, they would fellowship, they would talk, they would interact. But one day, sin entered into the life of Adam. Adam willfully disobeyed God. And when he did that, he turned his back on God. Sin entered into the picture. Adam chose to disobey God, and thus he turned his back on God. Because sin now existed in the life of Adam, God being holy, just, and righteous, had to turn his back on sin. Let me turn around. This was the state of mankind. Jesus Christ comes into the picture 2,000 years ago, and he dies on Calvary. He sheds his blood. He's buried, and he rises again the third day. He fulfills the righteous demand of God. That is what makes him the propitiation for our sin, is that He fulfills the holy, righteous demand of God. None of us could have done that. Only God Himself could provide Himself a sacrifice to fulfill His own demands. And God Himself hung on Calvary, was buried and rose again, Jesus Christ, perfect, sinless. Mankind, up to that point, was separated from God. He utilized sacrifices of animals, bulls and bullocks and goats, to somehow restore or to bring temporary reunion or fellowship there. But in reality, there was separation. However, now we have the blood of Jesus Christ shed. God is able now, because of the blood of Christ, to once again face man. And he says to man, hold your arms out. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Man had willfully disobeyed God and turned his back on God. Sin required 
that God turned his back on man. But now Jesus Christ provided provision for the, through the shed blood. And now the grace of God is able to be ex- extended to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now the only thing that remains is that man then turned back to God. Amen. And that is exactly what happened the day that you and I were saved. And fellowship was restored that day. Because man, you, myself, we had to make a decision to turn back to God. Just because he turned back to us does not settle our salvation. We must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. That is a conscious decision to once again turn to God and accept his forgiveness, his love, his grace, and mercy. And when we do that, then fellowship is restored. Thank you, Joshua. So salvation covers our sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation restores fellowship between you and God. Also, salvation makes us the sons of God. It makes us the sons of God. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, turn there, would you please? The Bible simply says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He goes on to say, of course, in the passage, even to them that believe on his name. But isn't that wonderful? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In the book of 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Isn't that amazing? Once again, confirming the position that we have in Christ. Sons of God. Sons of the living God. Amazing. Again, many will say, well, I'm a child of God. We're all the children of God. No, we're not. We really aren't. Why in the world would the Lord Jesus Christ, over in the book of John, say to the the Pharisees then, you're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he goes on to talk about the fact that he's a liar. Well, what the devil would love for you to believe is that you are the child of God when indeed you are not. He wants people to believe that they're okay, they're good to go, there's no problem. But let me tell you, there's no way to become the son of God without, first of all, being born into the family. Take your Bible, look at John chapter 3 for just a moment. John chapter 3. Again, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Have you exhibited faith in Christ? Have you put your total trust in Him as Lord and Savior? If you have, you've become the Son of God, the child of God. But notice John chapter 3 here, verse 7. Marvel not, he says, that I said unto thee, ye must be Born again. 
Again, that's a, a, a phrase that we don't use as much today as we used to. We ought to use it more. It's a biblical term. Born again. A new life in Christ. We've been born again. Listen, you were born the first time into an earthly family. You're born the second time into a heavenly family. The family of God. And that makes you the child of God, the son of God. By the way, ladies, we like to talk about the daughter of God, but you're really the son of God because you even have a man living in you. Jesus. It's really amazing. And one day, I'll just blow you away. You'll have a body just like mine and I'll have one just like yours and it'll look like his. Amen. It's going to be wonderful. We'll finally all have it right because we'll all be men. Some of you ladies are mad already, I can tell. <laughs> we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, just throw that out there, okay? But anyway, and we'll have a body like unto his, according to Philippians chapter 2. But nonetheless, moving on. You don't have to agree with that because one day in heaven you'll find out you were wrong. And I was right. But it doesn't matter. Until then, believe whatever you want. I don't care. That's no big deal, right? We're talking about salvation. Amen? Just thought I'd throw that out there for fun. But we're all the children of God by faith. And you know what? We're, we're, that salvation makes us the sons of God. And you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey sister, hey, you're a daughter of God. I, I don't have no problem with that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not that crazy about it. But but we're all in the family of God. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And so, you know, this is what salvation does for us. Salvation, again, covers our sin with the blood of Christ. Salvation restores fellowship between us and God. Salvation makes us the sons of God. And then also, we note that salvation ensures us eternal life. It ensures us eternal life. And that, that is a blessing. Amen. We already read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? How long is everlasting? I'll often ask somebody once they've been saved. I'm trying to give them assurance. How long is everlasting? They go, well, that's forever. Exactly. That's forever life. Now, now it's interesting, and we'll talk about some other things later, but, but isn't it nice to know that the moment you get saved, you get everlasting life? I mean, well, wait a second. If I got saved today and from this day forward I have everlasting life, how long does that last? Forever. But what if I go out and do something stupid? What if I sin against God? I don't know. Will God take away everlasting life? If He does, then it was never everlasting. I mean, if He can take, what, if he can take everlasting life away, then it was never forever life to begin with. It was conditional life. And somebody says, well, but you're just preaching, you can live how you want doctrine. No, I'm not preaching that at all. No, you know what the problem today is in America? You know what the problem in, in, in the hearts of believers today is? There's no fear of God. So we get saved and we go, he's just a big sugar daddy. He gives me whatever I want. He, he provides me with what, anything I want. And he's obligated to make my life fun and exciting and good. And he's, he's got to give me anything I want. And then we get angry at God when it doesn't turn out the way we think because we have these expectations that are unscriptural and unbiblical. The fact is, is today is that when we get saved, we become the child of God, yes. Without a doubt, that's the case. 
But we also become a son or a child of God, which means that he's our daddy. And that means that he is to discipline us. He's going to correct us. Most people don't believe in the chastening hand of God. They somehow want to blame anything and anyone else other than that. But I'm going to tell you something. You want to run around and live however you want to live as a child of God? Guess what? Just get ready because daddy's hand's coming down hard. Or at least the rod is. His hand is good, so it's not his hand, but it's going to be his chastening rod. And you know, we don't like to preach that a lot because, well, you know, God's a God of love. Yes. I don't know of a parent in this room that loves their children that will not discipline them. The Bible doesn't say, spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible says, spare the rod, hate your child. You hate your child. When you fail to chasten your child, you are saying, I don't love you. I hate you. So the Bible teaches. That's not, nothing says, there's nothing says, you know, uh, don't beat your child. No, we're not talking about beating. We're not talking about abusing. There's there's no, no place for that in the child of God's life. There's no place for that in anyone's life. We don't abuse anybody. God never doesn't abuse. But God does want to build up and God does want to protect and God does want to train and God does want to teach. And God wants to protect his children. And you know what? If we really believe that God's hand was a chastening hand, we may not be so quick and apt to go out and do what we want and choose to live how we choose. But so often we just don't think God will do anything because we've watched people that are Christians, right? They do whatever they want. They live however they want. And look, their life's fine. I wish you could just go sit as a fly on a wall in their home sometime. I wish you could... I wish that maybe from time to time some of our young people could get into the minds of people who have neglected and rejected the God of heaven who they claim saved them and could feel the, the hurt, the heartache, could, could really identify with the mental strain and stress that they deal with, with the agony and the, the suffering and just the, the torture that they feel in their mind, their body, and their life. I wish we could get inside their head and then we might not see them as being so fortunate and so blessed. When in reality, they are cursing themselves by separating themselves from the only good thing that they ever had in this life, the Lord Jesus. This salvation ensures us eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and he that, excuse me, he that heareth my word and believeth not on him that sent me hath everlasting life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Man, isn't that wonderful? That's, that's amazing. No condemnation, no judgment. Didn't say nothing about chastening, according to Hebrews 12. We're talking about condemnation, judgment. Standing before God in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. We don't have to stand before Him at the great white throne judgment for our sin. Our sin has been dealt with. It is finished. Paid in full. So, since my sins are forgiven then. Since I've been saved, does that mean I'll never sin again? <laughs> of course not. No, that's not what it means. See, the child of God has two natures, doesn't he or she? 
two natures. You know, when we talk about natures, now, I don't want to get into this thing too awfully big because the reality is that the old man is dead. But we have to be careful. We still have the flesh, though. Now, for the sake of discussion, let me call it the old nature. But the old nature is really dead. It's hard because I, I struggle with it. But most people don't get that, and it's very difficult for people. But the fact is that we have this flesh. And in one sense, that is a driving force, as you well know. And one could almost call it a nature. It's a fleshly nature. And that nature exists in the life of a believer. Even though the old man is dead, has been crucified, there still lives this flesh that we drag around every day that wants or has the appetites of the flesh. And then there is the new man, the new nature, if you will, Christ in us, spiritual, perfect, and in God's image. Those two battle, and they war. They battle and war. Romans 7, the Apostle Paul talking, the things that I would do, I do not. That's the, I want to do the right thing, but I, I find it's, it's a battle. It's a struggle, chapter 7. It's a battle for the Apostle Paul. Well, guess what? It's a battle for us. Look at you on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. Notice these two sides. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And notice verses 21 and 22. He says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We have that, in a sense, that Adamic nature, that flesh. We have Christ now, the new nature, battling, warring with one another. Constant battle. In, 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 in Disney flicks or in some kind of movie you may have watched, you've seen a little devil sitting on the shoulder and a little, and a little angel. And they, they go, do that. No, don't do that. Do this. No, don't do that. Well, there's some reality to that. Within us, there's that battle raging to do right, to do wrong. The flesh versus the Holy Spirit of God living in us, guiding and directing. The Christian... Should I say, as long as you have these two natures, as long as you have these two forces, you're going to have a battle on your hands. And that's all there is to it. The one that will control you is the one you feed the most. And that's why it's important that we're in church. That's why it's important we're in the Word of God and on our knees praying. That's why it's important that we don't stop with just reading our Bible, but that we study our Bible. That we don't just simply glance over the Word, but we memorize and meditate on the Word. Because in the end, the one you feed the most is the one that will have priority or take precedent or will have power in your life. Colossians, turn there if you would, chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, 
anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that, the, that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Isn't that wonderful? See the two different, the different natures there? Do you see what's going on? Now, there's a decision to make every day of our life. Which one are we going to feed the most? Which one are we going to put on? The fact is, is that it's like putting on a coat. You're going to put on Christ. You're going to put on the deeds of the flesh, the old man. Which one do you choose to put on every day? Because that decision will determine who has control of your life. The one you feed the most is the one that you will ultimately live out. It's so important that we're very careful. We have to be so careful with that. Galatians 5.16. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, excuse me, verse 16, the Bible simply says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, who are you feeding? Walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you have to make a conscious decision, now that you're saved, what and who you will serve in your daily life. This is the decision that makes or breaks us as believers. This is the real, where the rubber meets the road. This determines whether or not we truly have a walk with God or if it's just an outward show. We've got we to truly be very careful here. Now, feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. What, what's the Spirit, what, what will cause the, you know, if you're talking about spiritual food then? The Word of God again. How much time do we spend in it? How much time do we spend memorizing it, meditating on it? So important, okay? So we see that salvation means so many things to us. But although we're saved, we're still going to struggle with sin. We're still going to have to deal with that. So it's important that we feed the nature that helps us overcome and get victory. And that's the Spirit of God. That's that new man, the new nature. We must feed constantly. Now, the Christian is not perfect in this life. We are perfect here. According to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, we are perfect. We are sinless. But we know, practically speaking, in this flesh, we deal with sin every day. The Christian is not perfect, but he is forgiven. I mean, just the other day, talking to that couple um, on the steps there, as I was taking them through the Word of God... I remember specifically saying to them, the fact is today is that I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And that's a wonderful thing for Christians because she was upset with that, you know, people are hypocrites and all of that. But you know what I'm saying. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. That's what makes me, you know, a, that's what blesses me as a child of God. I'm forgiven. My sins washed away. And you know what? That's true with every one of us, okay, that name the name of Christ. Now, again, God hates sin. And so what are we to do about that now that we're saved then? Well, we need to understand, as I said already, that sin is something that God cannot permit to go unchastened. And again, this is not one of those fun topics. It's not one of those ones that we like to discuss, but it is a biblical matter nonetheless. See, we're in the family of God. So we're no longer dealt with as sinners but as sons. And as sons, as daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is our Father. And therefore, as our Father, He is obligated and responsible to chasten us so that He can bring us up 
to experience joy and success in the Christian life. He'll never cast you out of his family, but he will chasten us. Look, if you will, Hebrews chapter 12. You know, I, I, not so much these days, but years ago when the church was beginning in the first probably 10 years of the church, I remember talking to a number of people, and a lot of times people would say, oh, you're those Baptists. You, you Baptists believe that you get saved and you can live however you want. They used to say that. People don't even know that about Baptists anymore, really. They don't. You go to the door, they don't know that. They don't even say that anymore. Oh, what are you? I'm Baptist. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Used to be that, oh, you're those Baptists. You, you believe that once saved, always saved. So you get saved and you can live however you want. That's what people used to say to me. They don't say that no more. But at least I, don't, I haven't had it said to me in quite a while. <laughs> but that's not really what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that we can be saved so that we're not saved to live however we want. Amen. We're saved so that we don't have to live the way we used to. Amen. We're free from that. We're able to overcome that now. Notice Hebrews chapter 12. Let's see where we're going to start here. Let's just start in verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That was a, I, I still remember that sermon I preached out of that. That's a good passage. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Wow. You know he just said? If you can go live how you choose, without any repercussion, without any conviction, without any chastening in your life, you are not the child of God. Because if you were really the child of God, God would be all over that. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that you can't go out and make mistakes, mess up and sin, and, you know, a week later you're still unchastened. A month later, you're still unchastened. Listen, a day is of a thousand years with the Lord. Sometimes we get this idea that, oh, somebody is, is living in sin now. Why hasn't God dealt with them? Why hasn't God brought them to their knees yet? It's, only been, it's already been a month. It's already been three months. Man, God is such a gracious God. Aren't you glad that he doesn't tear into our hide every time we think something amiss, every time we sin against him, every time we fail to, to, to obey the Lord? He gives some leash. He gives some ground. He allows us some grace. Amen. Praise the Lord for that grace. Amen. But man, if you can go out and live in sin and continue to be rebellious against God, have no worries and no concerns about God, and nothing ever seems to affect your life, God doesn't seem to be knocking at your door, and the Holy Spirit's not convicting you of sin, and you just can do whatever you choose, whatever you like, and you're perfectly fine with it, my friend, according to the Word of God, and based on the authority of the Word of God, you are not His child. Amen. That's all there's to it. He's going to get us sooner. He's going to work on our life. He doesn't get us in the sense, I'm waiting for you to mess up. Just go ahead and mess up. Just go ahead. I'm going to blast you with this baseball bat. That's not God's idea. 
I mean, how many parents that really love their children, that have a heart for their kids, that have a desire to see them grow and prosper in this world, how many of you wait around and hold the rod in your hand going, I just can't, oh boy, I can't wait. Just mess up and let, I'm going to nail you, John. That's not how it works with us. As a parent, if anything, we want to withhold that. If anything, the temptation is not to give them what they need at times. The temptation is to say, just give them a little more space. It'll, it'll be okay. Don't, just listen, I hope it doesn't go that far. I don't really want to have to do this. That's the real parent, the real loving father, mother. And then when it happens, you're sitting there thinking, and I know it's not true, right? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No, it doesn't. It hurts the person's getting it more, let me tell you. But anyway, the fact is, is, is that you're not waiting like that to, 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 nail, to, to spank or to hurt or to, to, you know, to discipline. No, if anything, you want to withhold. You know, God's not up in heaven. Just let him mess up. Thank God he's not like that with me. But he is my father, and I am his son. And the Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Does he love you? I mean, let's just be honest. Can you withhold tithes and not see the chastening hand of God in your life? Can you withhold obedience and not see the chastening hand of God in your life? Can you withhold adoration and praise to God and not see the chastening hand of God in your life? Have you ever allowed yourself to begin to stray from God and have not felt that tug, that pull that comes from inward as well as sometimes that force from the outside? Tell me you haven't. If you can honestly say that, then something's wrong. Oh, wow, we got to get going. It's later than I thought. Fortunately, we are done. That, I'm not joking. John 6, 37 says, and I love this passage. He says in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You know, you're as much the child of God you're ever going to be. And no matter how much chastening comes in your life, you're still his child. But boy, I tell you, the road can be pretty rough when we're rebellious and disobedient to God. Not just outwardly, but inwardly, in here, in our hearts. Oh God, he can wreak havoc in our life. And he can, do, he can twist screws and he can do things that really bring us to our knees. And no one would ever even know it on the outside. That's why, please don't jump to conclusions. When you see people that are in rebellion against Christ in their life, don't assume that the God's not working in their life. You can't see their heart. You can't see their mind. God is working. If they are his children, God is working. So if we confess.